0: Hey, I'm Mitchell Holmes, and I am the Children's Director at our Waterford location. Thank you so much for checking out this message. We're glad you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting the word River Connect to 97000. That's River Connect, all one word, to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you'd like to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click on the giving tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today is our last sermon in the series of Reach, Gather, Grow in the book of Philippians. You're like, wait a minute, this is week four. We've already done three weeks, and now how are we doing a fourth week? Well, we always have something at the end. Sometimes it's going back to reach, and sometimes we talk about giving. Um, and today we're going to be talking about giving. I'll get to that in a minute. But the reality is, is our vision is reach, gather, and grow. If you didn't know that, let's get the circle up behind me so we can at least see it. Um, as you can see, it is a circle, reach. Then there's an arrow to gather, an arrow to grow, and then it keeps circulating. The reality is, is we want to help people know who Jesus is. That's reaching the lost. That's the number one thing we do. And then we gather together the saints. We talked about that in week two. Pastor Chuck was here uh, when, when, when we spoke about that specifically in Lake Orion. And then lastly, we talked about what it means to grow. And for me, that goes to the four chairs, and we've seen that illustration. If you haven't been here and seen that, watch last week's message. You can kind of see what we talk about, when it means growing in Christ. The main thing is the main thing. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, forsaking all else. I don't care what it is. People need to know who Jesus is because he loved them. He died for, he died for them. And He will set them free. He will say, He set me free. Hopefully, He set you free. If He hasn't, you're going to hear about the gospel this morning, because the gospel is the main thing above all else, and it's what we proclaim: Jesus and Him crucified. And everything we talk about today, what we've talked about is all about the gospel. All about it's it's reaching people, it's gathering people, and helping them grow in their faith. A mother wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson. She gave the little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. She told her daughter, put whichever one you want in the collection plate. I know we don't do collection plates. That might mean today, you know, put it in the app. I don't know. But the, 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 the dollar and the quarter, she says, put in the collection plate and keep the other for yourself. When they were coming out of church, the, the mother asked the daughter which amount she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar... But just before the collection, the man up front said that we should all be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot cheerful, more cheerful if I gave the quarter. So I gave the quarter. <laughs> oh, man, why talk about giving? Man, when we talk about giving, it always gets weird, right? At least we feel it gets weird. If you're a guest with us today, you came on the right Sunday. We're talking about giving, all right? I know there's probably at least an internal groan as soon as any pastor talks about giving. Um, If you don't know me, I'm not someone who loves confrontation, but I've also learned and understand that if you need to talk about something, you have to get to the core of the issue and not just skirt around it and just kind of, you know, bounce around and dance. We always have to talk about the elephant in the room if you want to actually get to the deal. Here's the first thing. No, we don't. Talk about giving all the time at the river. All right? You came on the one of maybe two Sundays, maybe two Sundays a year. We talk about giving. All right? Um, But I have a question for us. Why is giving such a difficult topic to talk about? Like, really? I have to admit, when I remembered that this week was giving in my office, I kind of went, ooh, we're talking about giving. Some of you even told me that a friend of yours might be attending as a guest this morning. And I almost told you, hey, it's Giving Sunday. Have them come next week. (laughs) Right? And I wrote the Bible study that's in your books right now. I'm the one who wrote the Bible study this week on giving. And I'm like, ah! So what is the big deal? What is the big deal about talking about giving? Well, I think for some people, when it comes to talking about giving in the church, it kind of seems self-serving, right? It does feel self-serving. It can also feel like it's a manipulative thing. I mean, I'm going to get right to the elephant in the room, right? What you give pays me for my job. I'm not. I'm, I'm, let's just be transparent. It's true. That's the reality. Okay, it pays for all the staff. That is part of the budget. That when we give, it goes to pay the people that are that, that are doing this as their calling, as their career, to minister to people the gospel of Jesus Christ and to run the daily activities of the church. That is just a reality. All right? So it can feel like me or any pastor who starts talking about giving is trying to manipulate you so I can make more money. Okay? Just so you know, I don't get to determine what I make anyway, so don't worry about that, at least not this morning, all right? The reality is, though, that there are ministries that do that. We see many on TV. I'm not here to throw shade on anyone or call out any names this morning, but the reality is we do see it. Um, Another reason that it's weird to talk about money and giving which, by the way, we're actually talking about generosity this morning, which is definitely about money, but it's also about our talents and our time, is that it's our money, and what we do with it is very, very personal. What we do with our money is a pretty personal thing. And if that's how you feel about it, it it would be right. Someone else had something to say about that, too. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 20, Jesus said, "'Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven.'" Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. What we do with our time, our talent, and our treasure, our money, it's where our heart is. Now, I want to tell you today, and I really want you to hear my heart and the heart behind the River Church overall. Do we need people to give in order to be the church that we are and have the staff that we have and do the events that we do and run the outreaches we do and give food to the needy and minister to people in prisons and all the things that you've seen on those reach gather grow menus that we've had the last few weeks in the vision series and even more things beyond that the answer is yes yes the gifts of the church fund the ministries of the church across the board there's no way around that that's the practical part of giving and god knows that too in the Old Testament, God had people give the portion of the meat that they had. And the priest was supposed to put a fork in there. and Whatever came out, that was what he ate on. And you know, I mean, it was providing for the tabernacle, which the church is the representative today. But here's the, our heart behind giving and my heart behind giving a talk about giving. What you spend your time, your talent, and your treasure on indicates where your heart is and what you're living for. And I also know that when you give, you open yourself up to the blessing of God. And I want you to be blessed by God. I do. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't start thinking, man, if I give money to God, I'm going to get rich. But actually, we've prayed over these orange cloths. And we've dipped them in, in like some anointing oil this morning. And if you buy one of these at $19.95 this morning, two for 50 this will guarantee God's financial blessing on your life. They're available at guest services this morning. Amen. Can I get an amen this morning? No, I'm kidding. All right. That's, that, that, that's not what we're doing. All right. That's, it's a joke. All right. It really is a joke. Don't go back there and ask for one. They're not there. But they're available online, people online. Just kidding. Um, but, but we hear that though, right? And we go, man, this feels like a used car salesman. What in the world is going on? What have we reduced faith in God to? What is it really about? Here's what God's word says about giving. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He's talking to the nation of Israel. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for a blessing until there is no more need. My friends, this is the one time God says, go ahead and test me. That if you will be generous with your life, with your time, your talent, your treasure. See, the people of Israel, they had forgotten God. They had decided to give and and be selfish and only only be about themselves. And God says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me of you. You're robbing me of the tithe. The tithe in the Old Testament was 10%. 10% of everything they owned, everything that that they earned. We could have a conversation about whether or not it's 10% today or not. I, we, we're not here for that this morning. God, the Bible does say God loves a cheerful gi- giver. And you, you purpose in your heart between you and the Lord what you're supposed to give. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not here to talk about a hard and fast 10%. and If you want to talk to me about that after the gathering and get my opinion on it, that's great. I'll tell you what I think God's word says. But that's not the purpose of the message this morning, to give you a number. The purpose of this message this morning is to talk to our hearts about what we're about, why we do or don't give, what are we hanging on to, what are we trusting? That's what we're talking about today. But this verse talks about, or this, 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 this comment from God, says, wait, we can rob God? Yeah, we can, because we've, got, we've been called by God to give according to what he's given us. I want to put a little pin in that because we're going to come back to it later on in the message this morning. So let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We've been in the book of Philippians. That's where we're going to finish this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Um, and if you have your Bibles, that's great. If I want to make sure you know, if you do not have a paper copy of the Bible and you would like a copy of the Bible, we have free Bibles at guest services. We'd be honored to give you one this morning. So if you go to our guest services desk, we will give you a Bible this morning if you don't have one. I realize you can get on your phone. If you don't have the Bible app, download that. You version is great. Or you can even download the River Church app. It's got the Bible in there as well, the ESV, which the majority of our pastors use to, to, to preach from. And you can download that and all that's free this morning. But we're going to go through verses 10 to 20 here in a minute. But before we do, I'd like to define what generosity actually means. The word generosity actually means, or comes from the word generositas, which actually means magnanimous. And you're like, okay, great. What does that word mean? Right? Okay, I'll get you. So it's actually kind of a circular definition, which is interesting. You don't always see this. As generous as part of The word magnanimous is definition, but it also includes forgiveness or mercy, especially on a less powerful person or even a rival. To be magnanimous means giving mercy, to be magnanimous means giving forgiveness. I don't know about you, but when I thought about that in the light of giving, in the light of generosity, in the light of giving of myself it kind of changes how I think about it. It's about me having mercy on others in a very tangible way. It's about me giving, forgiving people. Even though they may not have hurt me, but maybe showing mercy on somebody is helping somebody in their dire time of need. In fact, that's definitely what mercy is. So let's get into verse 10 here. I want to read it for us. It says this. Our, I'm on, I want to make sure I got the right book there. It is Philippians. Good. All right. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul is talking to this church in Philippi, and he said more than once, like last week we, or two weeks ago, we talked about fellowship and what that means. I know Pastor Chuck was here. I was in Grand Blank, and, and we both talked about what fellowship's all about. But this church in Philippi was always a partner with Paul and the gospel, and they they were concerned for Paul. But apparently there was a period of time where the church couldn't give. And when we understand that, what's going on behind the scenes of this, and we read this, we can go, okay, that's a weird verse. But Paul is trying to make sure the people in, in Philippi aren't in a position where he's going to them, Man, you haven't given in a few weeks, and life's not good because of that. He's trying to not manipulate the people in Philippi. He's telling them, look, I understand your situation I understand in fact the people in philippi were poor they didn't have a lot but they gave from even their little and they partnered with God and the go- or with, with Paul and the gospel Even earlier in the book, at the beginning of this letter, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, he wrote them and said, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. See, Paul thanked them for at the beginning of this letter for their partnership in the gospel, and it was so many things that they did. They had had been those that would let other people know about who Jesus is. They were going to tell other people because of the ministry Paul had with them. They worship Jesus. They gathered together, to have true fellowship. And Paul, as we learned in week two, they grew in their faith and, their, and, and in their encouragement of Paul and learned how to follow Jesus. Now, a big part of following Jesus is letting him have control over every area of our life. That's one of the biggest things that, 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 that helps us grow I, I talked to a few people this last week and a lot of people, a lot of those people were saying, man, if you're last week, I talked about four chairs and they were saying, man, I'm in chair two. I'm in that chair of the believer. I want to be in chair three. I want to be more about other people, but I've stuck in chair two. And, and the reality is, is we, uh, the path from being a, just a believer, quote unquote, just a believer to somebody who's working for God. It's surrender. It's surrender. It's giving God those areas of our lives that, man, we want to hang on to, that we're not quite sure. I don't know. I think I'm doing a better job of this th- with this than you might, God. That, that's what we say. Really. Because, man, if I give that to God, I might have to move to Africa. I don't know why it's always Africa, but it is, right? At least it has been in my life. I, I might have to give up this thing that I'm hanging on to so tightly. See, the... The difference between running or walking in life in chair two and to chair three really is surrender and giving those things to God. And Paul here is addressing giving for sure, but he also wants to be sure there's no guilt on the Philippians. Again, they had revived their concern again, and he had been made known of it, and it just warmed his heart. Something had made it impossible for them during that lull to give, though they had continued their. Concern in other ways. They didn't exactly have cell phones to be able to text and say, hey, Paul prayed for you today. He was reminded of that concern. And now Paul is writing the Philippians. Verses 11 and 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how, how to be brought low and I know how to abound in, in every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul had learned to be content. He had, to, in each and every situation, he had to learn to be content. He wasn't trying to tell the Philippians they needed to give more. He wanted to make sure of that. He was simply stating that even though they hadn't had opportunity to partner for a time, God still took care of him. God still took care of him, even though they hadn't been able to do something tangible. How had God taken care of him? How had he learned contentment? Because in reality, that's how God really took care of him in the first place, is that he learned this contentment through all kinds of different situations. He had times of being really low, of not having much. And he had times of being in abundance. And God took care of him each and every time. And he learned this by living his life following Christ. And here's a couple of examples. 1 Corinthians 4, 11 to 13. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, We bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Wow. Paul did not mix any words on that. He knew how to be hungry. He knew what it meant to be poor. He knew what it meant to be well off as a Roman citizen. He knew these things. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 12, he says this we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that for the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who are alive, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. And Paul's saying, look, it's been hard. There's been absolutely difficult times. But like he said said at the beginning of this letter of Philippians, he says, all these things that are happening is so the gospel of Christ can be made known. Again, I don't know how Paul ends up in jail, wrongly persecuted, all this kind of stuff, and ends up singing hymns and going, praise Jesus in a a jail cell. And then the jailer comes to know Christ. I don't know how that happens. Because if I'm in that situation, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be ticked off. I'm going to complain. Why? God, I gave my life to you. Why am I suffering this persecution? Don't you love me? Right? Right? That's what I'm gonna do. I know that. God, please don't put me in a jail cell. That would yeah. <laughs> Now I'm gonna yeah. Well, anyway. But right though? Amen. A bill can come and we go, "God, really? I was planning to go on vacation next year." That's out the window now. Thanks a lot. Right? But maybe God's calling us to stay home over that vacation because he's got a different plan. I don't. The thing is, is when we don't surrender everything to the Lord, we miss out on his blessing too. Because think about this. If God is working circumstances, and yes, it may be a hard financial time, and you don't get to go on that vacation or whatever that looks like. What if right around that time next year, a family member is in desperate need? And you have an opportunity to give a little bit of that because you don't have enough to go on vacation, but now you can help that. Or somebody in the church, and you have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody else. But if all we're doing is so ticked off that we're not going on that vacation, we could easily miss that opportunity and miss out on the blessing that God has for us in the middle of that opportunity. That's why generosity can be, is, is not, can be, is so important. And again, I'm speaking as a dude that I struggle with generosity sometimes. I think, man, I, I, I can't always meet my bills and I can't always do this and I can't that. You know, the reality is, is we, we all have those thoughts. How can we become more generous? It's about surrender. It's about surrender. Then Paul gives us one of the most misquoted and misapplied verses in the Bible. In verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That is probably somewhere in your house on some nice piece of wood frilly with flowers or on some sort of shiplap. I don't know. You know, something like that in your house. I can do all things. It's somewhere in your house probably. If, if you've been in the church for any period of time, that's for sure. This verse does not mean you can do anything through Christ. There's no way I'm going out there right now to the basketball hoop, putting it 10 feet and throwing down like Michael Jordan. I've never had those kind of hops, even when I was in shape. But, oh, man, if I stand there enough, and I really believe that I can do all things through Christ. Sorry, I'm not dunking today. If I did, I'd probably break something. Sorry if I tried. God takes care of us in every situation. And, yes, he even factors in our bad decisions. But this verse is not saying that you can do anything that you want to do. Paul is referring to what it means to live in contentment. It's a difficult thing. And because of Jesus giving Paul strength, he's been able to do so. Here's what he's saying. We are able to do the things that God calls us to do because he will give us the strength to do them. You don't get to say I'm going to manifest something. We don't tell God what to do. He is not our spiritual genie. And this verse has been misapplied so much, thinking that, oh, man, I want to do this thing. I can do all things. It's talking about contentment here. God will always strengthen you for what he's called you to do. He won't leave you alone in that. But if it's not in his will, you're not going to have the strength to do it. (laughs) Verses 14 to 16, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul thanks the Philippians for their continued partnership in the gospel. They shared in his trouble, they shared in his spiritual life and work as well. It is a very real thing that when you are generous, you become a partner through your generosity with that person, with that entity, with that whatever. You become a partner. You become part of the solution. Because when you give to a cause, you're a partner. When you give to God's work, you are his partner. Brings us back to Jesus' words in Matthew 6 about where your treasure is, there your heart is because we become partners in whatever we are contributing to whatever we deem as worthy which by by in reality guys the word worthy is the core of worship worship it's what we partner with The story of Esther in the Old Testament is one that's about partnership and generosity and her giving of her life. She gave her life for her people. You think, if you know the story of Esther, you might wonder about generosity, but she offered her life for her people. How more generous can you be than giving your life? If you don't know the story, I'll tell you real quick. Esther was a Jew living in Persia. Persia had overtaken Babylon, who brought all of Israel, all of the Hebrew people into captivity. They brought them away from their land, put them in captivity in the Old Testament, all right? And Persia had taken over, and Esther was a Jew living there. Esther was apparently very beautiful because she would catch the eye of the king, and as was tradition of the Persian king, he would marry all the pretty ladies, all right? That's just just what he did. It was what, what they did in that day. And so He would end up marrying Esther. Mordecai, who was Esther's cousin, was in leadership in Persia. So was a man by the name of Haman. Haman wanted everybody to worship him and thereby worship the king. And so he convinced the king to make a law that stated, if you didn't worship Haman, bow before him and the king, you would die. Talk about narcissistic tendencies. Well, the Jewish people were not going to bow to anybody other than the one true God. And when Haman heard about that, he made plans to kill all of the Jews that were in Persia at that day. So Mordecai calls Esther to use her influence before the king to save the Hebrew people. For For she had been placed in her position... For such a time as this. So Esther had a choice to make. You couldn't just go into the king anytime you wanted. You had to be summoned. I don't care who it was. If you weren't summoned and he didn't raise his scepter accepting your presence, you died. You're dead. And Esther felt that she was called for such a time as this went into the king, and he raised his scepter, sparing her life. She talked to him about what was actually going on, turned the tables, turned turned the law, turned the tables on Haman, her people were saved. And God used her to save the people because she was generous with her life. My friends, maybe you are in your situation for such a time as this. I'd like to ask you a question, and this is what I hope we can walk away with this morning. Based upon how generous you are with your time, your talents, and your treasure, what is your heart focused on? That's the question this morning. Based upon how generous you are with your time, talents, and treasure, what is your heart focused on? We give... Because we've been given so very much. Jesus said in Matthew ten eight, Freely received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. So what have we received? What have we received? Think about it. In this passage where Jesus is talking about freely you have received, freely give, he's sending out the 12 to minister to people, to go and do the work of God. And then he tells them at the end, Freely you have received, freely give. We're called to do the same. We're called to do the same thing. Because we've received so much from the Lord. We've received so much from the Lord. He sent his son. He died for us. He saved us. And if that's all he did, it would be enough. If that's all he did, it would be enough. My friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus the Savior, you haven't given your life to him This giving thing, not what you need to hear. What you need to hear is what Jesus has given for you. He gave his life for you so that you can have a relationship with God because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Every single one of us. But he also says a couple chapters later, Romans chapter 6, that the wages or the payment of sin is death. What we get for our sin, it's death. It's spiritual death. It's eternal death. It's physical death. Separation from God and everyone else we love in a very real place called hell. And I know people don't like to talk about that, but that's a reality of the scripture. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, because we've been given so much. We have been given so much. He died in our place. He paid the penalty for us so that we can know God. And if you call on the name of the Lord today, you'll be saved. If you believe believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved right where you are. You will be. Call on the name of Jesus. Ask for forgiveness this morning. Believe that he is Lord of all. That he did what he said he did. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And that he is who he says he is. That he's a son of God. And you will be saved this morning, my friend. He will forgive you right where you sit. But that right there is why we give. Because we realize the immensity of the gift. And we realize that everything we have is his anyway. And if that was it, it would be enough. But it's not. A, it's not it. He provides. He loves us. He blesses us. Verse seventeen here. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your increases to your credit. I can't believe it, but here Paul is talking about giving because of what giving what do, what, what giving does to the people he's ministering to in Philippi. He knows that as you give, you receive the blessing of God. Not that you give for that reason, but God blesses as we are generous. Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in the land. And one day there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to the king and said, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and he was able to discern the man's heart. So as the man turned to go, the king said, wait, you're clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this. And he said, man, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if you give the king something better? The next day, the nobleman came before the king and as he was leading a a handsome black stallion, he bowed low and said, my lord, I breed horses. This is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will breed. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was was perplexed. So the king said, let me explain. That gardener, that was giving me the carrot. He gave me the carrot. But you were giving yourself the horse. See, we if we come to God with ulterior motives in our giving, we're not really giving to God. We're giving to ourselves, hoping that God will bless. We're not going to pull one over on God. We give out of the abundance that God has given to us. We give because God has given us so much. We give because he's worthy, not because of the potential of us getting something back, though that is what God wants to do for us. The really crazy thing is when you give, when you're generous with your time, your talents, and your treasure, you can become the answer to someone else's prayer. How crazy is that? That you become the hands and feet of God. Somebody else has been praying for this and you feel that, man, I don't know. I feel like I gotta go, I don't know, mow a lawn or rake some leaves or shovel some snow or anonymously send a hundred dollar bill to somebody. I don't know. All those things have been part of my life. And you just got to trust that God is, is working in that. And you go, whoa, this other person goes, God, you knew. So often we look at the world around us and go, God, what are you going to do about it? And God says, that's why you're where you are. I've sent you. And we miss out on being God's hands and feet when we're not generous. Finally, verses 18 to 20. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We've got to hear Paul's encouragement as we give. Paul knew how generous these Philippians had been. They gave up to and even beyond their means to support his ministry. They wouldn't be forsaken. In fact, he would supply their needs according to his riches and glory. Wow. That's based on his supply, not theirs. It's also not based on our supply. And as we supply the needs of others, God meets our needs too. Again, we can become the answer to somebody's prayer. But there's another reality here. If we give begrudgingly, or because we feel guilt, or because we have to, there is no such promise of being cared for. The promise is for the generous follower of Jesus. See, when we give, we remember what we've been given. It shows who we really trust when we give. And God knows full well that we show who we trust when we, when we give. That's why God calls us to give In the first place. To learn and grow and become more like Christ. Freely you have received. Freely give. Based upon how generous you are with your time, your talents, and your treasure. What is your heart focused on? Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your word. And I thank you that even when we speak about a topic that might be a little difficult, now nah, let's be honest, there's a lot of those in your word. The reality is, is, is you're continually pulling us toward you. And it can be hard to talk about things that, that hit us right where we live. But God, I pray this morning as we've talked about money and we've talked about generosity, God, I pray that we would hear your heart, not a pastor that's trying to manipulate or anything like that, because that's not the heart here. That's not the heart of the river. We truly want to be followers of yours. And what we do with our time, our talents, and our treasure comes into play in our relationship with you. And so, God, I just pray that as we've heard this message this morning, you would just use it to challenge us, to encourage us. God, if we haven't been generous, I I pray that we would remember what we've been given how freely you have given everything to us. And I pray that as we, as we understand that more and more, God, we would be generous with what we have. To potentially be the answer to somebody's prayer. Lord, I pray that our lives would be more focused upon you today. Use everything we have for your glory for your glory thank you God in Jesus name we pray